it's a really long story time with Bryson and Mommy. And today we're reading the story Harry Potter. And, and we, the Sorcerer's Stone. And we um only read one chapter and we're on the second chapter today. Good. So today we're reading chapter two, The Vanishing Glass. What does vanishing glass mean? We are probably going to find out. Do we remember what happened in chapter one? Remember we met Mr. and Mrs. Dursley and their son Dudley. And Miss Dursley's sister is Miss Potter. And Mr. and Mrs. Potter have a son named Harry. And we also met McGonagall and Dumbledore and Hagrid. And McGonagall, Dumbledore, and Hagrid are wizards. And Harry is a baby wizard. And who's the bad guy? Who's the bad wizard? Do you remember his name? No. Voldemort. Okay? And they're all happy because they killed the bad wizard. Okay? So let's see what happens next. Nearly 10 years had passed since the Dursleys had woken up to find their nephew on the front step. But Pivot Drive had hardly changed at all. The sun rose on the same tidy front gardens and lit up the brass number four on the Dursley's front door. It crept into their living room, which was almost exactly the same as it had been on the night when Mr. Dursley had seen the fateful news report about the owls. Only the photographs on the mantelpiece really showed how much time had passed. Ten years ago, there had been lots of pictures of what looked like a large pink beach ball wearing different colored bobble hats. But Dudley Dursley was no longer a baby, and now the photographs showed a large blonde boy riding his first bicycle on a roundabout at the fair, playing a computer game with his father, being hugged and kissed by his mother. The room held no sign at all that another boy lived in the house, too. Yet Harry Potter was still there, asleep at the moment, but not for long. His Aunt Petunia was awake, and it was her shrill voice which made the first noise of the day. Up! Get up! Now! Harry woke with a start. His aunt rapped on the door again. Up, she screeched. Harry heard her walking towards the kitchen and then the sound of the frying pan being put on the cooker. He rolled onto his back and tried to remember the dream he had been having. It had been a good one. There had been a flying motorbike in it. He had a funny feeling he'd had the same dream before. His aunt was back outside the door. Are you up yet? She demanded. Nearly, said Harry. Well, get a move on. I want you to look after the bacon. And don't you dare let it burn. I want everything perfect on Duddy's birthday. Harry groaned. What did you say? His aunt snapped through the door. Nothing, nothing. Dudley's birthday. How could he have forgotten? Harry got slowly out of bed and started looking for socks. He found a pair under his bed and after putting a spider off one of them, put them on. Harry was used to spiders because the cupboard under the stairs was full of them. And that was where he slept. So he slept in a little cupboard underneath the stairs. He didn't even have his own room. And there was cobwebs down there. And spiders. When he was dressed, he went down to the hall of the kitchen. The table was almost hidden beneath all of Dudley's birthday presents. It looked as though Dudley had gotten a new computer he wanted, not to mention the second television and the racing bike. Exactly why Dudley wanted a racing bike was a mystery to Harry as Dudley was very chubby and hated exercise. Unless, of course, it involved punching somebody. Dudley's favorite punch bag was Harry, and he couldn't often catch him. Harry didn't look it, but he was very fast. Perhaps it had something to do with living in a dark cupboard, but Harry had always been small and skinny for his age. He looked even smaller and skinnier than he really was because 
He, all he had to wear were old clothes of Dudley's, and Dudley was about four times bigger than he was. Harry had a thin face, knobby knees, Ew. black hair, and bright green eyes. He wore round glasses held together with a lot of stellotape because of all the times Dudley had punched him on the nose. The only thing Harry liked about his own appearance was a very thin scar on his forehead, which was shaped like a lightning bolt. He had had it as long as he could remember, and the first question he could ever remember asking his Aunt Petunia was how he had got it. In the car crash when your parents died, she had said, and don't ask questions. Don't ask questions was the first rule for a quiet life with the Dursleys. Uncle Vernon entered the kitchen as Harry was turning over the bacon. Comb your hair, he barked, by the way of a morning greeting. About once a week, Uncle Vernon looked up over the top of his newspaper and shouted that Harry needed a haircut. Harry must have been having must have had more haircuts than the rest of the boys in his class put together, but it made no difference. His hair simply grew that way all over the place. So do the Dursleys seem like they are nice to Harry Potter? Mm-mm. That's their nephew, right? Look at all the That's spiders. Their family. Could you imagine having another boy that lived here and he got all the presents and he got all the bedrooms and he had two TVs and a video game and you didn't get anything and you had to sleep with spiders under the stairs? How would you feel? Scared. You would feel scared, not very happy about that, right? Mm-hmm. Harry was frying eggs by the time Dudley arrived in the kitchen with his mother. Dudley looked a lot like Uncle Vernon. He had a large pink face, not much neck, small watery blue eyes, and thick blonde hair that lay smoothly on his thick fat head. Aunt Petunia often said that Dudley looked like a baby angel. Harry often said that Dudley looked like a pig in a wig. <laughs> a pig in a wig. Harry put the plates of egg and bacon on the table, which was difficult as there wasn't much room. Dudley, meanwhile, was counting his presence. His face fell. Thirty-six, he said, looking up at his mother and father. That's two less than last year. Darling, you haven't counted Auntie Marge's present. See, it's here under the big one from Mummy and Daddy. All right, thirty-seven then, said Dudley, going red in the face. Harry, who could see a huge Dudley tantrum coming on, began wolfing down his bacon as fast as possible in case Dudley turned the table over. Aunt Petunia obviously scented danger, too, because she said quickly, And we'll buy you another two presents when we're out today. How's that, Popkin? Two more presents. Is that all right? Dudley thought for a moment. It looked like hard work. Finally, he said slowly, So I'll have thirty... thirty... thirty-nine, sweetums, said Aunt Petunia. Oh, Dudley sat down heavily and grabbed the nearest parcel. All right, then. Uncle Vernon chuckled. Little Tyke wants his money's worth, just like his father. boy, Dudley, he ruffled Dudley's hair. At that moment, the telephone rang, and Aunt Petunia went to answer it while Harry and Uncle Vernon watched Dudley unwrap the racing bike, a signed Santa camera, a remote control aeroplane, 16 new computer games, and a video recorder. He was ripping the paper off a gold wristwatch when Aunt Petunia came back from the telephone looking both angry and worried. Bad news, Vernon, she said. Mrs. Figg's broken her leg. She can't take him. She jerked her head in Harry's direction. Dudley's mouth fell open in horror, but Harry's heart gave a leap. Every year on Dudley's birthday, his parents took him and a friend out for the day to adventure parks, hamburger bars, or the cinema. Every year, Harry was left behind with Mrs. Fig, a mad old lady who lived two streets away. Harry did not like it there. The whole house smelled of cabbage, and Mrs. Fig made him look at photographs of all the cats she'd ever owned. 
Now what? said Aunt Petunia, looking furiously at Harry as though he'd planned this. Harry knew he ought to feel sorry that Mrs. Fig had broken her leg, but it wasn't easy when he reminded himself it would be a whole year before he had to look at Tibbles, Snowy, Mr. Paws, and Tufty again. Those are the name of the cats. We could phone Marge, Uncle Vernon suggested. Don't be silly, Vernon. She hates the boy. The Dursleys often spoke about said Harry. a bad word. I know. I'm just reading what it says. <laughs> the Dursleys often spoke about Harry like this, as though he wasn't there, or rather, as though he was something very nasty that couldn't understand them. Like nasty. a slug. What about what's-her-name, your friend, Yvonne, on holiday in Majorca, snapped Aunt Petunia. You could just leave me here, Harry put in, hopefully. He'd be able to watch what he wanted on television for a change, maybe even have a go on Dudley's computer. Aunt Petunia looked as though she'd just swallowed a lemon. And come back and find the house in ruins, she snarled. I won't blow up the house, said Harry, but they weren't listening. I suppose we could take him to the zoo, said Aunt Petunia slowly. And leave him in the car. The car's new. He's not sitting in it alone. Dudley began to cry loudly. In fact, he wasn't really crying. It had been years since he'd really cried, but he knew that if he screwed up his face and wailed, his mother would give him anything he wanted. Dinky Daddy Dums, don't cry. Mummy won't let him spoil your special day, she cried, flinging her arms around him. I don't want him to come, Dudley yelled between huge pretend sobs. He always spoils everything. He shot Harry a nasty grin through the gap in his mother arm. Just then, the doorbell rang. Oh, good Lord, they're here, said Aunt Petunia frantically. And a moment later, Dudley's best friend, Pierce Polkus, walked in with his mother. Pierce was a scrawny boy with a face like a rat. He was usually the one who held people's arms behind their backs while Dudley hit them. Dudley stopped pretending to cry at once. Half an hour later, Harry, who couldn't believe his luck, was sitting in the back of the Dursley's car with Pierce and Dudley on the way to the zoo for the first time in his life. His aunt and uncle hadn't been able to think of anything else to do with him, but before they'd left, Uncle Vernon had taken Harry aside. I'm warning you, he said, putting his large purple face right up close to Harry's. I'm warning you now, boy. Any funny business, any biz funny business at all, and you'll be in the cupboard from now until Christmas. I'm not going to do anything, said Harry, honestly. But Uncle Vernon didn't believe him. No one ever did. The problem was strange things often happened around Harry, and it's just no good telling the Dursleys he didn't make them happen. Once, Aunt Petunia, tired of Harry coming back from the barbers looking as though he hadn't been at all, had taken a pair of kitchen scissors and cut his hair so short he was almost bald, except for his fringe which she left to hide that horrible scar. Dudley had laughed himself silly at Harry, who spent a sleepless night imagining school the next day, where he was already laughed at for his baggy clothes and sellotaped glasses. Next morning, however, he got up to find his hair exactly as it had been before Aunt Petunia had sheared it off. He had been given a week in his cupboard for this, even though he had tried to explain that he couldn't explain how it had grown back so quickly. Another time, Aunt Petunia had been trying to force him into a revolting old jumper of Dudley's, brown with orange bobbles. The harder she tried to pull it over his head, the smaller it seemed to become, until finally it might have fitted a glove puppet puppet, but certainly wouldn't fit Harry. Aunt Petunia had decided it must have shrunk in the wash, and to his great relief, Harry wasn't punished. On the other hand, he'd gotten into terrible trouble for being found on the roof of the school kitchens, Dudley's gang had been chasing him, as usual, when, as much to Harry's surprise as anyone else's, there he was sitting on the chimney. 
The Dursleys had received a very angry letter from Harry's headmistress telling them Harry had been climbing school buildings. But all he'd tried to do, as he shouted Uncle Vernon through the locked door of his cupboard, was jump behind the big bins outside the kitchen doors. Harry supposed that the wind must have caught him in mid-jump. But today, nothing was going to go wrong. It was even worth being with Dudley and Pierce to be able to spend the whole, somewhere, the whole day that wasn't at school, his cupboard or Mrs. Figg's cabbage-smelling living room. While he drove, Uncle Vernon complained to Aunt Petunia. He liked to complain about things. People at work, Harry, the council, Harry, the bank, and Harry were just a few of his favorite subjects. The morning, this morning, it was motorbikes. Roaring along like maniacs, the young hoodlums, he said, as a motorbike overtook them. I had a dream about a motorbike, said Harry, remembering suddenly. It was flying. Uncle Vernon nearly crashed into the car in front of him. He turned right around in his seat and yelled at Harry, his face like a gigantic beetroot with a mustache. Motorbikes don't fly. Motorbikes don't fly. Dudley and Pierce sniggered. I know they don't, said Harry. It was only a dream. But he wished he hadn't said anything. There was one thing the Dursleys hated even more than his asking questions. It was his talking about anything acting in a way it shouldn't, no matter if it was a dream or even a cartoon. They seemed to think he might get dangerous ideas. It was a very sunny Saturday, and the zoo was crowded with families. The Dursleys brought Dudley and Pierce large chocolate ice creams at the entrance, and then, because the smiling lady in the van had asked what Harry had wanted before they could hurry him away, they bought him a cheap lemon ice lolly. It wasn't bad either, Harry thought. Licking it was... Sorry, licking it as they watched a gorilla scratching its head and looking remarkably like Dudley, except that it wasn't blonde. Harry had the best morning he'd had in a long time. He was careful to walk a little way away from the Dursleys so that Dudley and Pierce, who were starting to get bored with the animals by lunchtime, wouldn't fall back on their favorite hobby of hitting him. They ate in the zoo restaurant, and when Dudley had a tantrum because his knickerbocker glory wasn't big enough, Uncle Vernon bought him another one, and Harry was allowed to finish the first. Harry felt afterwards that he should have known that it was all too good to last. So are they being nice to Harry? If you were Harry, how would you feel? Sad. Sad. Harry felt afterwards that, <clears throat> sorry, after lunch, they went to the reptile house. Mm -hmm. It was cool and dark in there with lit windows all along the walls. Behind the glass, all sorts of lizards and snakes were crawling and slithering over bits of wood and stone. Dudley and Pierce wanted to see huge poisonous cobras and thick man-crushing pythons. Dudley quickly found the largest snake in the place. It could have wrapped its body twice around Uncle Vernon's car and crushed it into a dustbin. But at the moment, it didn't look in the mood. In fact, it was fast asleep. Dudley stood with his nose pressed against the glass, staring at the glistening brown coils. Make it move, he whined at his father. Uncle Vernon tapped on the glass, but the snake didn't budge. Do it again, Dudley ordered. Uncle Vernon wrapped the glass smartly with his knuckles, but his snake just snoozed on. This is boring, Dudley moaned. He shuffled away. Harry moved in front of the tank and looked intently at the snake. He wouldn't have been surprised if it had died of boredom itself. No company except people drumming their fingers on the glass, trying to disturb it all day long. It was worse than having a cupboard as a bedroom, where the only visitor was Aunt Petunia hammering on the door to wake you up. At least he got to visit the rest of the house. 
The snake suddenly opened its beady eyes. Slowly, very slowly, it raised its head until its eyes were on a level with Harry's. It winked. Harry stared. Then he looked quickly around to see if anyone was watching. They weren't. He looked back at the snake and winked too. The snake jerked its head towards Uncle Vernon and Dudley, then raised its eyes to the ceiling. It gave Harry a look that said quite plainly, plainly, I get that all the time. I know, Harry murmured through the glass, though he wasn't sure the snake could hear him. It must be really annoying. The snake nodded vigorously. Where do you come from anyway, Harry asked. The snake jabbed its tail at a little sign next to the glass, and Harry peered at it. It said, Boa Constrictor from Brazil. Was it nice there? The Boa Constrictor jabbed its tail at the sign again, and Harry read on. This specimen was bred in the zoo. Oh, I see. So you've never really been to Brazil. So bred in the zoo means that that snake only has been in the zoo. It was born in the zoo, and it's only lived in the zoo. It's never actually lived anywhere else. Does that make sense? No, no. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Dudley came waddling. Oh, sorry. Uh, as the snake shook its head, a deafening shout behind Harry made both of them jump. Dudley! Mr. Dursley, come! Look at the snake! You won't believe what it's doing! Dudley came waddling towards them as fast as he could. Out of the way, you! He said, punching Harry in the ribs. Caught by surprise, Harry fell hard on the concrete floor. What came next happened so fast, no one saw how it happened. One second, Pierce and Dudley were leaning up close to the glass. The next, they had leapt back with howls of horror. Harry sat up and gasped. The glass front of the boa constrictor's tank had vanished. The great snake was uncoiling itself rapidly, slithering out onto the floor. People throughout the reptile house screamed and started running for the exits. As the snake slid swiftly past him, Harry could have sworn a low hissing voice said, Brazil, here I come, and thanks, amigo. The keeper of the reptile house was in shock, but the glass, he kept saying, where did the glass go? The zoo director himself made Aunt Petunia a cup of strong sweet tea while he apologized over and over again. Pierce and Dudley could only gibber. As far as Harry had seen, the snake hadn't done anything except snap playfully at their heels as it passed. But by the time they were all back in Uncle Vernon's car, Dudley was telling them how it nearly bit off his leg, while Pierce was swearing it tried to squeeze him to death. But worst of all, for Harry at least, was Pierce calming down enough to say, Harry was talking to it. Weren't you, Harry? Uh, yes. Who's talking to it? Uncle Vernon waited until Pierce was safely out of the house before starting on to Harry. He was so angry he could hardly speak. He managed to say, go, cupboard, stay, no meals, before he collapsed into a chair and Aunt Petunia had to run and get him a large brandy. Harry lay in his dark cupboard much later, wishing he had had a watch. He didn't know what time it was and he couldn't be sure the Dursleys were asleep yet. Until they were, he couldn't risk sneaking to the kitchen for some food. He'd lived with the Dursleys almost 10 years, 10 miserable years, as long as he could remember, ever since he'd been a baby and his parents had died in that car crash. He couldn't remember being in the car when his parents had died. Sometimes when he strained his memory during long hours in his cupboard, he came up with a strange vision, a blinding flash of green light and a burning pain in his forehead. This, he supposed, was the crash, though he couldn't imagine where all the green light came from. He couldn't remember his parents at all. His aunt and uncle never spoke about them, and of course he was forbidden to ask questions. There were no photographs of them in the house. 
When he'd been younger, Harry had dreamed and dreamed of some unknown relation coming to take him away, but it had never happened. The Dursleys were his only family, yet sometimes he thought, or maybe hoped, that strangers in the street seemed to know him. Very strange strangers they were, too. A tiny man in a violet top hat had bowed to him once when out shopping with Aunt Petunia and Dudley, after asking Harry furiously if he knew the man. Aunt Petunia had rushed them out of the shop buying with, without buying anything. A wild-looking old woman dressed in all in green and waved merrily, merrily at him once on a bus. A bald man in a very long purple coat had actually shaken his hand in the street the other day and then walked away without a word. The weirdest thing about all these people was the way they seemed to vanish the second Harry tried to get a closer look. Why do you think they're all vanishing and strange-looking to him? Uh, because they don't like him. No. These are all people that are like, oh my gosh, hi, it's nice to meet you. And then they disappear. What kind of people do you think they are? Uh, bad people. No, do they seem like they're bad? No. They're very nice people. What is Harry? But he doesn't know it yet. A wizard? Mm-hmm. So these are other wizards that know him, right? At school, Harry had no one. Everybody knew that Dudley's gang did not like that old, that odd Harry Potter in his baggy old clothes and broken glasses. Nobody liked to disagree with Dudley's gang. Look at the big picture of the boa constrictor snake. All right, that's chapter two. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.